Welcome to the Walter Paisley Movie House, where we celebrate the little engines that could not. Coming to you from Nilbog Manor Studios, I'm here with my engineer, Jason Harris. Our music was created for us by Jonathan Harmon, and I am your host, Dylan Rory. Today's episode is brought to you by the Ninja Empire Messenger Service. Need to send a death threat? Let one of our messenger robots do the work for you. The world of cult film and... Let me spit everywhere while I do this. Let me try this again. (laughs) (laughs) I'll edit that out. Right. Uh, The world of cult film (laughs) encompasses just about every genre out there, but let's face it, some of the best cult films are horror movies. Today's guest is a makeup and special effects artist who has worked on both the big and small screen, creating practical effects that dazzle the imagination and splatter the screen. Starting in the early 2000s, he has worked on such notable TV and movie productions as War of the Worlds, Ma, The Walking Dead, the SpongeBob SquarePants movie, Stargirl, Stranger Things, and Dr. Sleep. His cult movie cred is why he is here, though. Working on such cult and so bad they're good classics as August Underground, Jiu Jitsu, Jay and Silent Bob Reboot, the television adaptation of The Haunting of Hill House, Tales Tales from the Hood 2, Creepshow 3, Big Bad Wolf, Smiley, Necrosis, Son of the Mask, Seed of Chucky, and one of my personal favorites, FDR American Badass. And these are just the tip of the blood-soaked iceberg. Please welcome an incredible artist and a man who knows that the way to my heart is with an ass squirrel, Greg McDougal. <laughs> Hi, Greg, how so are that, you? Th- good, good. So that is, uh, that is now on your mantle, correct? It is on my mantle. For our listeners, Greg, uh, <laughs> he sent me the uh, the squirrel that was shoved up a cadaver's ass in the morgue scene from FDR American Badass, <laughs> and it's now in a place of honor in my home. <laughs> well, you know, I just came across, I was doing a deep cleaning in the shop, and I uh, just opened up this box, I had a bunch of old masks, and I'm like, oh, okay, and on the very bottom, the squirrel's ass is just pointed right at me, and I went, I know who... I know who wants this. I'm going to get it to him. <laughs> my son, so. my son, he's 23 and lives with me still. And, and uh, he's finishing out some college and stuff. And so he always kind of wanders in to see what I'm up to. And I just held it up at him. And he's like, what, what, what is that? <laughs> and I handed him your note. He was thrilled. <laughs> son, this is what grown men do. We send each other squirrel asses. <laughs> Uh, but only after they've been at the ass of someone else <laughs> right <laughs> right well i'm glad it's got a new home i really am because uh i knew there was some reason i was hanging on to that old thing so <laughs> i am i am glad i'm glad that uh you enjoy it really i am <laughs> so um i got connected to you through our mutual friend julie who worked with yes. you on so cold the river here in indiana yeah. um so let's go back a little bit what Where'd you grow up? What was your life like as a kid? <clears throat> oh man, grew up in Ohio and um what part? So uh I grew up in northeast Ohio. Okay. A small little uh town called Hiram, Ohio and um had a little college there. So uh that was my playground when I was a little kid. Just mm. rode my bikes around, played army and war with all my friends on the campus. It was a it was a well, I would read comic books and stuff like sitting, uh, you know, like on these little ledges mm-hmm. that came off of uh, some of the buildings. And it was just the best place to grow up. I mean, I have such fond memories living there and would I think I was at the student union playing video games and stuff more than the students were because, you know, <laughs> I, I, I frequented that college more than I think. Yeah, some of the students. It was great, though. 
and uh, Halloween, you know, was a big deal in our house. My mom and dad would both pitch in and make the best costumes. And, mm-hmm. um, oh man, what can I say? You know, I mean, we both probably grew up the same way. Star Wars was huge in our house. Right. You know, before everybody, of course, was a Star Wars fan, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. How old um, are you? Uh, I'm 48. Okay. Yeah, I'm 49. So yeah, we, we probably grew up with the exact same pop culture. So oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, remember the Star Wars underoos? Remember those? Oh, yeah. Un- yeah. Underwear that's fun to wear. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> that was, those are some of the highlights from my childhood right there. <laughs> cool. I actually, I grew up in a college town too, Hanover, Indiana. Um, in fact, my claim to fame is Woody Harrelson kicked me out of the pool once. What? So, for horseplay. So it was justified. He was lifeguarding there. That's where he went to school and he was lifeguarding there. And my friend and I, uh, we had pool passes because my friend's dad was the campus doctor. And of course, you know, we're little punk kids swimming in the pool, making a mess. And we were booted for horseplay by future star Woody Harrelson. So really, that's an awesome story. That is so cool. Oh man. Woody Harrelson. Wow. Pre pre cheers and everything. Way pre cheers. Yeah. Man. Wow. That is awesome. That's a great story. (laughs) Thanks. So you're growing up in Northeast Ohio. Were you then like, aside from star Wars, were you, I'm assuming you were a monster kid too. Uh, I was a monster kid. And um, in Northeast Ohio, we had these uh, local late night horror hosts, you know, and uh, who was yours? um, Well, uh, this was before my time, but Goulardi, of course, Goulardi, you know, yeah. was, yep. he was the guy, you know, and then, um, and then eventually there was a, a couple guys named, uh, Big Chuck Shadowski and Houlihan, uh, Houlihan, um, was, uh, I, I eventually he moved down to Florida to mm-hmm. become a weatherman, I believe, but, um, and then someone took his place and that guy's name was, uh, little John Rinaldi. So basically this big Polish dude and this, uh, you know, little, little, uh, uh I believe Jewish, Mm-hmm. Jewish guy and it was it was awesome it was awesome and they would cool. show all these great horror movies and um usually edited but that's mm-hmm. kind of where I f- got my first taste of horror films and you know some of them freaked me out you know I I, I remember certain things like uh Count Yorga freaked me yes. out and uh Dr. Fives you know freaked me out it really did it had an impact on me yeah Dr. Fives is a pretty fucked up movie. I love it. It's really dark humor that you don't get when you're a kid. All you see is the horror of it. And it's, I mean, I take him over Saw any day, but. uh, You know what? I've tried. I've had these arguments with people. It was Saw before Saw was ever Saw. And people are like, no, it wasn't. It's like, trust me, dude, you haven't seen it. I can tell. But trust me, it's Saw. Yeah, I bet that, you that's where those guys got that uh, idea from. I would have to think it was at least inspired by that. At I would least, have to think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. Um, so, was that on a Friday or Saturday night for you guys? That was a Friday. Yeah, yeah that ours was, a, that was a, a Friday. Ours was Sammy Terry, and it was a Friday night for us too. It was S A M M Y space T E R R Y. Sammy Terry would come out and present the movies. Um, he was actually a dude that ran a music shop up here in Indy. And this is what he'd do in his spare time. So, oh, that's so cool. Yeah, it was pretty. And was neat. it was it like right after the news? Like yeah. ours is eleven eleven thirty eleven thirty on that. the dot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My sister introduced. I was five, and she she's like, "Come on, we're staying at my grandparents because where we lived, we didn't have him. But at my grandparents, we could kind of get him in on that staticky old TV." She's like, "Come downstairs, you got to see this." 
So she drags me down. And I remember specifically, it was the movie Horror Hospital. It used to, <laughs> it, it was originally called Computer Killers with Michael Gaughan. And the opening scene terrified me. It was like this, this midget throwing a switch in a limo that threw a blade out and cut people's heads off. After that, I was back up the stairs. And uh, yeah, it, it traumatized me for months and I couldn't thank it enough. It was, it, it made me who I am today. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Well, you know, it's, I, I've always um, felt not to be corny, but I've always felt kind of blessed that, uh, you know, guys like you and me, that's, that's how we discovered horror. It's a very natural way, yeah. um, you know, for, for, I think, uh, little kids to, be introduced to horror and what better way to do it than to just have some kind of horror late night horror host just introduce you to it you know and right it helped because there would be like um commercial breaks and they would do these funny little skits and mm -hmm. stuff so if there was a particularly rough segment you know like the exorcist even though it was edited still pretty frightening for sure. a kid and uh you know the little funny skits they would do you know would okay you know bring you back down and stuff and then yeah. be like all right now we're gonna go to the scene where uh you know she's uh you know puking up green vomit and stuff and so <laughs> But it's just, it's such a special time. It really was, you yeah. know, and it can never be replicated or reproduced. It's, it's just, it was a special time. You know, I still I hold agree. that stuff true to my heart. Yeah. I, um, I was, I interviewed the guys who run kindertrauma.com. Are you familiar with that website? I'm not. It's a, no. it, my favorite site on the web. It's uh, people write in with things that traumatize them as children, not like oh, personal awesome. emotional traumas, but like horror films right. and book right. covers and movie posters. It's really funny, oh, wow. the minutia of it. Um, and we, we talked about that with both of them. I, we were just discussing horror hosts and the, of course, now they still exist. There's a lot of them out there. Um, they're all web-based now. Yeah. Um, but it, which, which kind of takes it away, kind of gets us, and this is a whole different discussion, but that idea of the disposable culture, when you're not having to seek it out, you're not having to stay up late for it, it right. makes it less right. special. It makes it disposable. I agree. I agree. And, um, you know, you're absolutely right. And in fact, when we started uh, watching these programs, we were still very young. You know, my mm -hmm. brother's a few years older than me, but we were still very young and my mom would not. She didn't really want us to do it unless we had a nap, you know, uh, sure. before. So she would wake us up. And I remember um, there was this one day where, uh, you know, for like a couple of weeks, the horror hosts, Big Chuck and Little John, they were saying, well, they said, now next week, guys, we're going to have the Vincent Price classic, The Fly. And they kept promoting this. And we were so excited. It's like, mom, OK, The Fly, you know, we went out, we got popcorn, you know, at the local grocery store. We're totally ready. <laughs> And he's like, okay, well, you need to take your nap. Like, okay, okay. We could barely sleep. It was like Christmas, you know? Right. And um, so we went to bed and we woke up on Saturday morning. Mom, <laughs> we missed it. And I'll never forget waking up and seeing the sun and being so disappointed, you know? Oh. And why didn't you wake us up? And of course, my mom's like, I tried. You guys wouldn't get up. And <laughs> when you're disappointed when you're a kid, man, it is just earth shattering, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, your, your whole week revolves around this one thing. And, right. and then you miss it because you won't get your lazy ass out of bed. <laughs> That was, I, it actually, um, somebody posted this past week on media somewhere I, I saw, and then I actually checked because I don't believe memes, but uh, it was uh, last week that Halloween appeared for the first time on network TV. Uh, it was like in 81. And I remember, that's the first time I saw that movie was on network television. So it, because that movie really doesn't have a lot of violence, they didn't cut much. Yeah. So you're watching yeah. Halloween and I was eight, I think eight or nine. 
it was absolutely terrifying. And yeah, yeah. I, you know, I'm there. I was at my friend's house and it was his older brother daring us, you know, so you got to sit it out whether you want to or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I believe the only thing you probably missed was uh, probably just a little boob. And that's that, it. That and that's and it. The, yeah, took there's, out there's nothing. The dog kill. They took out the dog kill, which was probably for the best at that age. But uh, sure. yeah, it. Yeah. it uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all we all had uh, childhood pets back then too. Right. And, uh, you know, that, that Don't care what you do to the babysitters. <laughs> leave the dog alone. Right. <laughs> exactly. Precisely. Oh man, God, those were good times. You know, um, since you're uh, since you brought that up, I think the first thing that ever terrified me, um, truly, I mean, really stuck with me. I mean, the the big Chuck and Little John movies. Yeah, there were some things that stuck with me, but the mm-hmm. first thing that actually got a real visceral um scare out of me was um in our family uh kitchen we had this little black and white tv you know back then you know mm-hmm. you know there'd always be a little crappy little tv floating around the yep. house like the secondary tv that nobody wanted to watch you know because it was yep. shitty you know and uh <laughs> this little black and white tv and oh you, you there? still hear me by the way oh, yeah, okay, yeah i'm hearing you mm-hmm. okay and um so I walked by this black and white TV and I, you know, it was just on, you know, I, I, I didn't even turn it on. I walked by, but something pulled me in. I'm just kind of staring at it. And there's this woman sitting in this canoe and she just camera slowly pushing in on her, you know, and I'm thinking, okay, you know, no, this is kind of boring. And yeah, right before I turn away, Jason comes blasting out of the water, grabs her. <laughs> oh my God, I shit myself. I'll never forget that moment. I, I seriously jumped back. I may have even pooped myself a little bit, but got it. Oh my God. I'll never forget that moment. I mean, I can remember it clear as day and I can't remember what happened, you know, two weeks ago sometimes, right. you know, Yeah. but I'll never forget the impression that made on me. And, um, I still don't even know what the hell it was, but mm-hmm. I was intrigued after yeah. I was done, you know, catching my breath, but man, those first, you know, moments where you're truly mm-hmm. scared out of your skin is, uh, at the special time, but man, yeah. you never forget them, do you? I and I think that's what separates people like us from people who have those traumas, Oop, and then sorry. oh, you're fine. Who uh, who who have those little traumas that happen to them watching something and avoid it? We ruminate on it and seek it out. Yes. We you know we make it worse than it actually is in our heads because we didn't watch <laughs> the whole thing in context. And then when we finally right. seek it out, we're like, oh wait a minute, this isn't so bad. In fact, it's kind of fun. And it it, yes. it kind of is how we end up like us, I guess. Well, is, that, we're object lessons. <laughs> that's a great way to look at it because you're right. It happened for a reason, you yeah. know. I mean, I do believe that. I do believe that. That's cool to believe that because, I mean, I don't think we would be be where we are today and love what we love today if it weren't for those experiences. Yeah, absolutely. You so, know? so you're 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 catching all this stuff. You're starting to figure out that the the scary movies are kind of your thing. At what point did you start thinking about working in it? What point did you say, "Hey, how do they how do they you know make Jason look like that"? Yeah. Um, I think the first time I ever kind of really got a taste of uh, the behind the scenes was um, those late night appearances that Tom Savini would make on David Letterman. Yeah. And I remember seeing the first time he was ever on David Letterman, I believe it was either 84 or 85. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't really know who he was, 
but um, what he was showing really intrigued me, and I love that. I just thought that was, stuff was so cool. And he made numerous appearances over the was next that few the one, years. Was it that first one where he had the creature from um, the Tales from uh, Tales from the Dark Side episode, The Attic? It might have been because that yeah, that little, was a pretty that little early gremlin thing that hopped. Lizzie. I just remember hopping down the stairs. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, Lizzie. Lizzie. Yeah. yeah, Lizzie. Yeah, um, it might have been. Yeah, yeah, cool. It might have been. That's that's that cool. might be uh, the case because yeah, I believe that was like a an episode that aired in eighty four, eighty five. So quite possibly, I, yeah. I just happened to watch that one recently on YouTube um mm. that appearance that's, so that's a fantastic episode I oh think it's, it's a, a great, great episode great episode yeah and, and i have to tell you real quick too without getting off track but one of the highlights for me and there's I no eventually... there's no track for this so okay go wherever you want okay <laughs> i think you'll appreciate this story then uh seeing that we just talked about uh tales from the dark side but when i finally um later on in my life i started working at tom savini's school as an instructor mm-hmm. Because they just started up in like 2000, 2001. They needed some instructors. Mm -hmm. I learned a lot by then. I actually had a few movie credits. So I was asked to uh, come teach at the school. And Tom started dating um, a friend of mine, actually, that lived in Ohio. Her name was Mm -hmm. Adrian. And uh, Tom would pop in. You know, he would go to Ohio sometimes just to visit Adrian and stuff. And uh, I would go back to Ohio and see my parents, you know, when I because I had to move to Pennsylvania for a few years to teach. But mm-hmm. I would go home on the weekends and see them. And this uh, one weekend, Tom went back to see Adrian and Adrian said, hey, uh, Tom, wanted to see if you want to come over uh, tonight. And uh, we're going to watch um, his Tales from the Dark Side episodes. Awesome. So got to go to Tom's, um, you know, got to go uh, to Adrian's house and watch that episode that I always felt was the best with Tom. And I just, you know, I mean, to some people it's not a big deal, but to me it was because it was just one of those moments. Again, you just can't replicate that kind of experience. And I was just sitting there watching this great episode. And I look over and there's Tom Savini, you know, and he's doing this little running commentary as we're watching it. And I was thinking, man, how fucking cool is this? This is just so cool. You know, I mean, that is you're, you're, you're watching the magic with the guy who made it. I mean, right, that's just right. freaking cool. <laughs> and that was really neat, you know, and uh, I always wow. hold those experiences very, uh, very, they're just very dear to me, you know, and uh, never forget sure. stuff like that. Cause it's, it's a gift. It's a gift. Cause not yeah. everybody gets to experience something really cool like that, you know? Right. So that's that, really neat. Yeah. I mean that I, I probably would have lost my shit, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> just, um, I have a few friends who actually went to that school a little later though. So I doubt you would have encountered oh. them, but, um, I've got a few friends that are graduates from there. And, okay. um, uh, a couple movies that they've made that I can't remember the title. I think one of them's don't go in the woods or something like that. I can't remember. Don't go in the woods. Okay. Um, that might not be it. I think that's actually a classic film now that I think about it. I don't know. They made a couple the, films. So you're right. Those, those, those classic don't do this, don't do that. Titles. Right. Yes. Don't go in the damn basement. Don't go in the damn woods. Don't do this. So um, um so you were but that's you you were watching him on Letterman. And were you yeah. a thing? Did you have your did you have a Fangoria subscription or did you seek it out? <coughs> Excuse me. Um I did not have a subscription, but I was also going to the, I started going to the mall mm-hmm. and I would see at the, uh, God, what were some of the older, oh, like Walden books. Remember that? Yeah. 
mm-hmm. walled bookstores. They always had that big magazine rack right there in the front. And yeah. yeah, man, that's the first time I ever saw one of those Fangoris. And that cover just leapt out at me. It had, mm-hmm. I think it had Bub on the front and everything. And I slowly started to kind of piece together who did this. Oh, wait, it's that guy. That guy I saw on David Letterman. So yeah. Tom Savini for me was a really big influence, you know? Yeah. And um, the fact that he was doing it just a state over was even more mind blowing for me, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I always used to draw a lot. And I think I had my sights set on becoming a comic book artist. I was really, uh, I became very good at drawing, actually. And that's all I did. Um, in my teenage years, I would draw. And then I think around age 15, 16, I started to become kind of very enamored with uh, horror movies because my dad was always going out and renting stuff. And um, I remember when he rented the movie Creepshow and this was after yeah. Creepshow. Now this is a few years before, of course, Creepshow just came out like 82 on uh-huh. videotape. My dad rented it. And unlike that moment when I saw Friday the 13th and it scared the hell out of me, this did the same thing, especially the first major scare where you see mm-hmm. Nate's hand come right up in front of, you know, uh, that lady sitting at the graveyard, Vivica Linfers, I think mm-hmm. it is. And um, that terrified me, but yet it was a little different that something inside of me kind of, I got excited, you know, I got really, yeah. really excited at the same time. And I ran upstairs and got my brother and said, you got to come down and see this. And uh, he came downstairs and Creepshow became, good Lord, we must have watched Creepshow at least uh, half a dozen times a year, maybe even more. <laughs> and I think it really started with Savini and Ramiro and the yeah. movies that those guys made, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead. Yeah. yeah. And uh, eventually started making my own cheesy backyard horror movies in eighth grade. <sighs> do so, they still exist? They do. They do. They're on They're on VHS because my family bought a camcorder one year for Christmas. And awesome. I was the only one that really used it in the family because I was making movies then. And, Are you going to uh, digitize those and put them on your YouTube page? I I I need to. I need to. I that need would be to amazing. Because they're still on tape, and I'm sure they've you know the quality's kind of gone down a little bit. But yeah, I've got to do something about that. I've thanks for reminding me actually because that's definitely been in my uh, you know I've been thinking about it for a while. I, love, but. I absolutely love watching this. We had Mark Pirro here uh, a few weeks ago who made Curse of the Queer Wolf and. Um, Polish vampire in Burbank. Kind oh, of the, man. Those, those weird, really low Fantastic. budget films. And uh, he that's how he got his start was just making movies as a teenager. And yeah. he was he was using Super 8. And and then um, he eventually went to 16. And that's what he made his a lot of his features on was 16 millimeter then. Oh, OK. And blew those up. But uh, yeah, it, it, those things, watching those old films that that people like you start out with, it's just so interesting to watch that evolution from where it Absolutely. began to where it ends up. And I have heard of, I never saw any of his films. I have mm-hmm. heard of those titles, though, especially Curse of the Queer Wolf. I remember hearing that, and that that's just a title that sticks in your head. It, it never does. Leaves, you know? and it's really fun. I remember fun. hearing about it. It actually, they just did, um, I, I, like, literally, they released it last week. Um, they did a, a high-def um, restoration of it. Mark Pirro did, and he's released that. So you can get it on Blu-ray now. <laughs> Man. Oh, boy, I tell you these, uh, even though I pine for some of the older days, sometimes the technology and just the availability of some of the stuff we used to love is yeah. just really, really cool. It is. You know, it's, it's like, I, I always get torn by it because like what we were talking about earlier, the, that because it's so accessible now, it, it kind of makes it disposable. 
And um, I remember I watched a, a documentary on uh, 2000 Maniacs and it, the director of 2001 Maniacs was talking about the first time he saw it. He was like 16 and he was PAing on some film somewhere in New Jersey. And one of the grips or somebody came up and said, hey, we're going to go across the river tonight and see 2000 Maniacs in Times Square. You want to go? And he's like, hell yeah. And he says, so, you know, we, we take a bus to the train station, take the train in, then take the train station, get off there, get on the subway. Then we get to Times Square and we're <laughs> wading through these crazy, creepy junkies. And there's and you're waiting in line outside the skeezy theater and you're sitting on a seat full of cum and you're watching this movie. He's like, I will never forget watching that movie. Whereas now, if I want to watch it, I can probably find that one on YouTube and watch the whole thing and be like, oh, okay, there it is and be done with it. So you don't have that journey, that search, like probably for us, I know it was, you, you'd get those videotapes that had been passed around a thousand times and recorded <laughs> over and things like that is where you, that's oh, yes. how I watched a lot of my Herschel Gordon Lewis movies early on was trading videotapes with friends. Yeah. And uh, you know, that, that made it, that gave it a value that you don't have now. I don't think. That's right. And the way you just described it was perfect because um, it is almost like a spiritual journey. It's an adventure. Mm -hmm. It's, it's pilgrim's progress. You know, you have to yeah. go all these different levels of hell to get to the final, <laughs> you know, to get to the pearly gate of the theater. And it's just awesome. Yeah. You can't, you don't get that anymore at all. You know, it's too, it's too accessible. And, yeah. But Hey, I, I have a, you know, I still buy physical media. I have a huge, I, um, I got a huge collection, you know, I built yep. shelves for it because it outgrew my old shelves that I bought at some garage sale and, yeah, I took the time, went out and bought wood, of course, when prices were skyrocketing, of course, skyrocketing, yeah. yeah, with wood. And but I mean, I, I I love it. I gotta I gotta have that stuff. I do, you know. I'm in the same boat now, so, actually. I just reached maximum. I'm, I'm over capacity now on space, so I've got to build new <laughs> shelves for my for my Blu-rays and stuff. So. Doesn't um, it make you happy to just walk by your collection and go, that's cool. Absolutely. That is really cool. Absolutely. And you know, it's just knowing that I've got. Um, I, my concern with streaming now is that it, and it's already happening where they're changing endings of movies, they're editing things out um, that you can't do that with physical media. You get it as it was intended. And there's with the boutique video companies now, which I think is the plus side of everything going to streaming. Now we have these boutique companies like um, something weird that's been around forever um, and uh, Vinegar Syndrome, uh, Severin, those things are out there collecting this obscure shit. I mean, where else are we going to get to see Take It Out and Trade by Ed Wood in a, a you know, <laughs> 4K, <laughs> 4K restoration of that? So. Yes. <laughs> oh, God. We do live in a marvelous time, you know, yeah. for all of its faults, there are some real bright spots, and I yeah. love that. And back to your original point, too, just with the accessibility now to create is so much better you know you're not yeah. worrying about do i have enough tape do i have enough film stock it's yeah. now it's do i have enough hard drive space no i'll get a little more and keep shooting yeah that's true <laughs> yeah very true yes absolutely so yeah we live in weird wild magical times you know <laughs> still thank god oh man yeah it is so, cool. So where did you study then when you decided this is what I want to do? You went from, from wanting to be a comic book artist. At, at what point did that transition over into effects? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll put it to you like this. I mean, how you described, you know, going to see a movie and stuff like that and what we had to go through, um, you know, 
to to get to things that we wanted when we were younger. Um, it was the same with uh, makeup and makeup effects because now, yeah, you got all these YouTube channels and all these people doing stuff on. It's just so easy. The information's out there. The Stan Winston School of Character Arts, which is amazing, but it's just it's right there at your fingertips. You know. Mm-hmm nothing's really earned anymore. All you got to do is just have a little money in your account and there you go, mm-hmm. you know, and an attention span more than seven minutes long, and, you know, you can watch something. Um, but I, I just went after the information myself, you know, every time I would go to the mall, it was a reason to look for a new book. I would always go to two sections, the magazine section and the um, entertainment and performance uh, you know, section mm-hmm. and uh, any book on a movie that came out, even if it didn't explain it, A, B, C, D, this is how you do it the pictures alone were worth a thousand words, you know, mm-hmm. um, Cinefex magazine was a great Absolutely. publication. Great that one. one actually, unfortunately, you know, bit the bullet because of COVID unfortunately, mm-hmm. but, um, love that. And, uh, anything I could get my hands on, um, there were a few videotapes floating around here and there that some mm-hmm. guys in Hollywood would churn out the Bermans. They churned out a few of those, uh, remember, do you remember Tom Savini's scream greats? That was that. Yes. Um, oh man. That was yeah. great. And that wasn't, a, again, that wasn't a, 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 a technical how-to, but it was more just inspiration, you know, yeah. and a lot of his behind the scenes home video footage, they would splice into it. And it was, it was so inspiring. Yeah. And with just those few items, I would, um, you know, go out there and I had the Dick Smith makeup book too. That was that's, one of the first ones. That's like the Bible. That thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And I did every makeup in there and because uh, they were so simple. It was just grease paint, mm-hmm. some latex, some gelatin, some mm-hmm. wax putty. And I would just go get the materials. My mom would drive me an hour away to go to the closest makeup store that we knew of that sold theatrical makeup. Yeah. And uh, I was just I was constantly going there, constantly bugging her to take me there. This is obviously before I would drive. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, she'd take me there. I get the raw materials and mess up my face, mess up my poor sister's face. You know, she was younger. So I kind of like, you know, persuade her to do it. You know, you do this, I'll do this for you. You know, um, you know, I'll make you cookies or whatever, you know, right. something like that. Since she couldn't use the oven yet. I think I sent her to school. I, I, I learned like how to sculpt on my own and started making very crude plaster molds with um, hardware store bought like plaster of Paris, you know, just really, really crude stuff. But I was learning something and I learned how to put the latex in there and do it in layers and dry it with a hairdryer and pull it out. And Oh my God, it's a mask. So I started seeing progress. And, um, unfortunately sometimes, you know, with, with, um, progress comes a million mistakes, of course, you know, but uh, I do remember sending her to school once after I, uh, I had glued this mask on her face with this medical adhesive I got from this makeup store. Unfortunately, I didn't have the remover, but I was so excited to glue it on. But I was like, yeah, fuck it. We'll worry about taking it off later. <laughs> and so she, we got, we tore it off basically, but it just, she went to school with this big, dirty ring of adhesive on her face oh, for like yeah. the next two or three days. And my mom was very upset about that. I'll never forget that. <laughs> my mom was trying anything she had, you know, a little 70% rubbing alcohol anything you know uh, baby oil nail polish remover yeah oh god you name it i'm sure it was tried i'm sure it was an attempt to get that shit off her face but oh man yeah i'll, I'll never forget that one but hey you know what it was exciting for me to uh you know to learn how to start doing stuff even yeah. if it meant uh you know to the detriment of my poor little younger sister so my mom <laughs> refers to that that time for me because i i did i didn't have the artistic talent 
to to pursue FX, but I tried and tried and tried in high school. And my mom calls that time the the era of finding fingers because she mm-hmm. would just find like body parts all over the house. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be Stop. fucking around with. I'd like buy the props and then kind of like yes. try and make them better and things like that. And she'd find like she'd be sweeping and there'd be an arm behind the couch or something. <laughs> I, I I have a feeling that you and I both uh, inhabited uh, Spencer's toys and oh, yeah. Quite a bit, right? Yeah, because they would sell yeah. a lot of that stuff. Remember that? Yes, absolutely. Yep. I, get I was it. big into. <laughs> and then I'd, uh, I, I remember buying. I, I bought lube. It wasn't KY, but I bought some kind of lube. I didn't know what it was for. <laughs> I was like fourteen. I just read, use this to give it a glisteny effect. So I'm like in a in a hooks or something, buying lube at fourteen, <laughs> drawing a lot of stairs. I guess. <laughs> Oh, oh, it's that's fine. Awesome. It's for a severed arm. <laughs> sure it is. Where are you going to put that arm? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, yeah, back then it might have been a little embarrassing, but we were, you know, we were determined, you know, but Absolutely. Um, even fairly recently, like within the last 10 years, I did some creature, some low budget creature thing in LA and um, I needed some uh, slime on the creature and you know, the budget was really small and um, I was like, okay, I'm just going to go to Target and buy up all their KY. And it was just Target brand KY. And this time it wasn't, it wasn't embarrassment. It was just sheer joy and just, just yeah. laughing my ass <laughs> off. And I'm bringing up an arm load, seriously, like 20 tubes of these and just dropping them on the counter. And, and it's just so funny seeing the, seeing the, um, seeing the employees just try to like, you know, with a straight face, ring this up, you know? And I'm and like, I, I, I bet I you really <laughs> enjoyed turning in that expense report too. So here's yeah, my right? receipt for the lube. <laughs> well, that's the wonderful thing about being a makeup effects artist. You can write anything off right? you know, practically. <laughs> trust me, guys. Trust me. Trust me, Uncle Sam. The lube, I use it for monsters. Oh, man. I'll stop, stop right there. But uh, that's, that's, uh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah, you use so much stuff. You use so many mm-hmm. things that, you know, uh, that other people just use for just, you know, I guess household stuff. And yeah. yeah. We use a lot of everything. Well, I'll, I'll swing us back around in a little yeah. bit here. So you're, you're teaching yourself this stuff. What, yes. How did, how then did you transition into actually getting work from that? Um, well, the nearest place that I figured would, uh, you know, be able to use my skill set at that time was, uh, you know, the local haunted houses and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had a place uh, very close. It was in the same town that my high school was in. It was called um, the Haunted Granary. And it was an actually, it was an actual old granary that was in, mm-hmm. um, I mean, obviously it wasn't operation, but it had been built in like the late 1800s mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, it had fallen into disrepair a little bit. So the local JCs bought it up and fixed it up and turned it into a, uh, a very successful haunted house for a number of years. So I went to them and I think I was the first person to ever go to them with like, because by this point, I'd start to become familiar with, um, you know, movie making terms and stuff like, well, guys, I have pre-production sketches for you. And I draw out like pictures of like what a room could look like, you know, and uh-huh. like little arrows and notes saying like, well, this right here will be this and this right yeah. here, you know, this won't be this will be fake and put a mummy over here and stuff like that. And I think they were impressed or at least impressed enough or maybe they just needed some help. Right. And they were like, yeah, sure. But. I think I was the only one who actually um, asked for money because it wasn't a paying gig for them. It was all volunteer stuff. Mm-hmm. It was basically an excuse for a bunch of guys to just get around and get drunk and sure. you know, paint themselves with, you know, yeah. shitty store bought grease paint. But for me, 
it was an opportunity to really showcase some of my work and things mm -hmm. that I had made. So um, I gave him a hell of a deal. I think my first year, I think I asked for like 500 or $600 for the whole season. How old were and, you at that point? Um, I was about, uh, I want to say 15 or 16. Wow. Cool. Yeah, I think I was about 16 years old. And um, I learned quite a bit mm -hmm. at that point. And uh, yeah, I started bringing some of my masks. I made it home for them to use, which was a mistake because they just trashed them. But <laughs> uh, seeing people's reactions to uh, some of my work and um, it was that that's what really kind of solidified it for me, you know, mm -hmm. seeing people like jump back and scream. And I'm like, wow, something I made scared them. That's Very great. Cool. And it really just took off from there. And I got better and better um, every year. I learned a lot of new stuff. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think I, I have to mention these guys because they played a role too, but there's a company in Ohio, Cleveland, Ohio, that's very successful now, but they just started when I uh, was just starting to get makeup effects, you know, into my blood. And uh, they're called the monster makers. And, uh, you know, they had a small operation back then, you know, they had little classes, you know, and my mom mm -hmm. saw them on a local news program and uh, they were said, well, you know, some of Hollywood is actually in Cleveland and, you know, one of those little silly little news right. pieces. But, you know, the guy that ran the place, Arnold Goldman, he was on it and he showed some of his masks and he said, well, I have classes and stuff. If anybody wants to sign up and, you know, after that program that I was just I was thrilled because that was my first formal training mm -hmm. as far as like, uh, you know, how to sculpt and make molds. I mean, I. I think the next day, I think my mom called that guy. He's like, yeah, come on down and visit. And we went there and I brought some of my crude masks with, mm -hmm. with me and stuff. And, but it was enough to impress him. He's like, wow. He's like, you, you learn this on your own. He's like, well, you definitely got to sign up for one of our classes and you know, you'll learn even more. And I'm glad I did because um, you know, to this day, we're still friends. And that was back cool. in like 1990, mm -hmm. 91. So um, cool. that's kind of where some of the formal training started, but mostly okay. I'm just self-taught. You know, yeah. mostly self-taught as a lot of guys that do this for a living are and women mm -hmm. too, you know, yeah. um, a lot of people. Yeah. And so you, at what point I want to, I'm going to pull up your filmography again here real fast, just so I have all of this in front of me, but mm -hmm. um, for special, it looks like at least according to IMDB, which we all know is infallible, but you started out working in special effects before you started doing makeup in movies. Does that kind of track correctly? Um, yeah. And uh, the thing is, is that uh, some of those first credits were features that were done in Ohio, you know, or mm -hmm. little projects done in Ohio. And I had taught myself to do um, other types of things, too. I'd actually taught myself um, some pretty basic uh, pyro stuff. And oh, wow. um, I was on a few movies where they needed some pyro stuff and uh, very simple things. So, you know, I could actually parlay what I had learned and what I knew into other um, areas of uh, film production as well, you know, because there wasn't tons right. of makeup effects stuff going on in Ohio at that time, other than maybe a very, very infrequent film, an independent project, theater and um, haunted house work. Right. Amusement park stuff too. Yeah. Did a lot of that. With the, with the pyro stuff, what were you doing? Was it like just doing like flash pots and things like that? Or were you doing... Yeah, learned uh, flash pots, um, again, uh, inspired by Savini because Savini was the only makeup effects guy I knew of at the time right. that did squibs, you know, right? and did a lot of that stuff. So, um, you know, I had uh, taught myself um, 
you know, how to make squibs. And then I even went and I got certified for my uh, state and federal uh, firearms license. Oh, uh, wow. You have to get a, a, yeah. a power technician's license and it's uh, got to take a test and all this. And it's really, it's really yep. made for people that shoot off fireworks. That's what right. it's for. But I had to still take it since I was going to be dealing with certain things that were similar, you know. I did that. I had to get one for, um, I did pyrotechnics theatrically. I uh, worked as a theater tech. So I, ah, was, okay. I was, I was, I learned it on my own. And then they said, you really need to go get certified. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> oh boy. Learning it on your own is fun too sometimes, isn't it? Just blowing yes. shit up. I've still got all my fingers. <laughs> I must be good at it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Same here. Well, it was fun though. It was fun. And I really always enjoyed that. Uh, you know, I love, um, I, to this day, I still love practical explosions, practical squibs because they're kind of a dying art because, yeah. you know, more or less, that's a lot of digital stuff nowadays. And, uh, you know, I still love, you know, when something's a real squib in a movie, I just go, mm -hmm. Oh, thank Christ. Someone's still doing this stuff. You, you don't know? see digital blood. I'm just thrilled if I don't see digital blood. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> right. I know. Oh my God. Yeah, absolutely. So one of your earliest films, and we just got to dive right into it. August yeah. underground. <laughs> <laughs> I knew this was coming. This is a movie that uh, for me, I've got a, I've got a short list of films that, I've seen and probably will watch again, but usually I need either months or decades between it, between viewings. Um, <laughs> the Sinful Dwarf is definitely one of those. Um, I would say probably Sallow. Um, Serbian films on it, even though I've never seen it, I know if I ever do watch it, I'll probably need to like cleanse my soul with bleach before I watch it again. But August Underground, definitely on that <laughs> list. Uh, it's a brutal film. Yeah. Um, for our, our listeners who don't know, it's a it's a low-budget um, found footage film, one of the early ones from 2001. Um, I, kind of inspired by Henry, portrait of a serial killer, I would think. Mm -hmm. um, kind of that, that feel, um, the idea of let's capture the true brutality uh, and horror of this rather than glory in it uh, like a yeah. slasher film would do um at no point do you root for the protagonist of this film no <laughs> no unless you have issues unless you have major issues right <laughs> <laughs> if you're one of those people who masturbates to this movie stop listening to this podcast and seek help <laughs> but uh <laughs> So the plot is we, we've got a killer who a serial killer who asks a friend just to, Hey, why don't you follow me around and video me as I continue to torture and kill people? Yes. Um, yes. And it's very, very brutal. Um, so how did you, first off, how did that come to you? Okay. So um, when I got asked, it's, it's all starting to fit together. Cause this is when I, around the time I got asked to work at the Savini school. Okay. So uh, when I went there, um, I was introduced to another instructor who was just brought on board. His name was Fred Vogel. Mm -hmm. And Fred had told me, he goes, uh, we came, became pretty good buddies. He was a good sculptor. You know, he loved monster movies and stuff, loved horror. And he goes, you know, um, I'll never forget. Like he, he started um, telling me like, probably like our, one of our first lunches we had together, you know, when I just moved to uh, Manesson, Pennsylvania. And he goes, you know, he's like, I want to make a movie. He's like, what I really want to do though is do something different. He's like, I want to make a horror movie and I want to like leave a bunch of like videotapes just lying around in random places and make something so disturbing that if someone finds the videotape, they're going to take it to the police. And I said, <laughs> really? 
I said, that's, I said, that's actually kind of a good idea. He's like, yeah, I know. Right. He's like, cause then it's going to start building word of mouth. Mm-hmm. And if I'll be damned, if that's, that's what he did, he yeah. actually did that. Um, so I give Fred a lot of credit for that, but, uh, Fred said, yeah, you know, there's no budget or anything. We're just kind of working on stuff. You know, some of the students from the school, they want to be in it. They want to help with the effects and stuff. And mm-hmm. he's like, uh, next weekend, we're going to be doing the scene down in a basement, you know, with this girl tied to a chair. And he showed me, he's like, uh, he's like, yeah, she's got to be cut up and bite marks on her. And she has a boob sliced off a nipple sliced off. And he showed me a, a, an appliance he had made for her sculpture. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I kind of looked at, it, I was like, yeah you know and i was kind of like yeah i think that could be in my mind and it say to him i was like oh this is nice and it wasn't okay it was passable mm-hmm. but in my mind i thought eh, it could be better you know it could mm-hmm. be a little better and so i agreed i agreed to show up and uh help him on his movie so the first and only day that i worked on august underground mm-hmm. was um because it had a very uh kind of chaotic schedule sure. it was whenever he could find the time you know yeah and people were available and stuff actresses and stuff mm-hmm. um so I showed up and, uh, you know, I had all my makeup stuff and I applied this makeup to this girl, um, put the appliance on her and Fred loved it, you know, mm-hmm. thought it looked pretty cool. And, uh, and I was pretty happy with it too. And they took, yeah, we took the actress down to this basement where he lived. And, uh, this, boy, the open, and, this is like the opening scene of the this, film. Pretty yes, much. It yeah. Is. It's, yeah. It's the opening. And, uh, as uncomfortable as it kind of makes you feel when you watch the opening, it kind of felt that way for me at the, at the time, even though I, you know, all this is fake because I was, I was brand new to this town. Right. So I was still kind of feeling like a fish out of water. Here I am going down in this basement two weeks into teaching at the Savini school, you know, just watching Fred tie up this girl. And there's like a pan of fake shit that he had made out of like, right. um, I don't know what he'd use. I think he, he threw all kinds of stuff in there. Like he was going to ask cocoa. <laughs> I think he, he mashed up some candy bars. Cause he wanted, he wanted peanuts. He wanted peanuts in there. So I think he of mashed course. up a couple of baby yeah. roots and stuff. <laughs> and, uh, and he was just kind of, yeah, look at this man. He's like, you can eat it too. If you want. And I'm like, ah, it's all, I'm all good. You know, but um, uh, I was, I was very, um, I admired Fred's enthusiasm for his project, you know, mm. And uh, I thought that was really cool. But as the day wore on, you know, it was like, okay, now we want her to look even, you know, more beat up and more. And honestly, it just kept going into the evening and I had to teach the next day. And I'm mm-hmm. like, man, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm tired. I'm done, you know? And after a while, I just, I just called it. I said, I got to mm-hmm. jam out of here, man. You know, I'd done like two stages by then. And mm-hmm. I said, but I'll leave you with some stuff. If you want to, you know, finish up, I did pretty much everything you need. Just if you want her to look dirty, throw some of this stuff on blood yeah. here here's some blood you know but that was the uh that was the only time i worked on it but that was a pretty it's a pretty infamous scene and yeah. i'm happy with my work on it you know i mean say what you will about the movie um yeah. it is what it is if you like that kind of stuff hey you know yeah more power to you it's but, a, i um, mean they it spawned two others it's a trilogy the august trilogy they yeah, call it that's and right, that's right. um i i mean if nothing else it's interesting filmmaking and of course that's that to me matters more than anything else i'd rather watch an interesting film than a big budget rehash of something you know <laughs> show me oh, something I'm right, new i'm right there with you absolutely yeah. but i admired fred's uh tenacity and i admired the fact that he saw his vision through and mm-hmm. he did exactly that he left movies around and people word of mouth spread and right uh, you know he did what he set out to do and i admire that and Fred still makes, you know, films and he's, he's doing pretty good. You know, he, yeah. he made a film that I don't think has any gore in it called the final interview. 
-hmm. And it's his latest film from a few years back. And it's a very mature film. And it's like, wow, nice going, Fred, you know? Yeah. So I still pop up and we still talk once in a while. You know, I still talk to the guy. So good dude. I like him. Very cool. So when you're that early in your career, you're dealing with something like that, where it's like just not only low budget, but also brutal. You're having to make someone look absolutely brutalized. And (laughs) and, um, then from that, you move on not long after you're working on SpongeBob. And (laughs) the first one. uh, one. Yeah. So the David uh, Hasselhoff one. The David Hasselhoff. I have some questions from my son that I'll get to in a bit about some very specific things and movies you've worked on that he'll want to know about. That's one of them. But uh, but then you you just start you're working from film to film to film and you're you're picking up i mean just going through your imdb here alone you can kind of see that you're moving right along as you are now uh kind of a i, I assume kind of a vagabond artist somebody who is you're not part of a big fx house um there is no studio system anymore so you don't have any in-house effects guys at studios generally how <laughs> I imagine it's like any freelancer you're hustling all the time and, mm-hmm. and looking for work, pushing for work. So actors get agents, writers get agents. What do FX people do? They can get agents too. Mm-hmm. Um, you can definitely get uh, some representation, people to go out there and, uh, you know, pound the pavement for you, get you mm-hmm. the work. But uh, if, I mean, if you're like, obviously like uh, the guys like Rick Baker, Dick Smith and, you know, right. um, you know, Rob Boutine, they're going to come to you because your work's just so damn good. Right. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's just calling up productions, finding out which productions are shooting and just going out there and trying to find the work. It can be sometimes it can be very uh, tricky and then sometimes it just comes to you. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes I get a lot of calls, just people need help. Mm-hmm. And uh, somehow or another, they came across my name or someone, you know, recommended me and they give me a ring. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a lot of different uh, ways that you uh, drum up the work. You know, yeah. um, I, I actually start on Black Panther 2 in a couple of days. And, but oh, that's cool. just that's not making anything. It's just being a hired hand, a small cog and a massive Marvel machine yeah. to just apply a bunch of makeups, probably on background, you know, yeah. and it's and it's cool. But um, for me, the real joy is seeing something from start, like design, being the boss, you know, Mm -hmm. and helping to um, push these uh, creative decisions in the right direction as far as uh, from a makeup or visual standpoint, you know, that's to me what I really, really like to do. Yeah. No, but. And that's something that I I don't think a lot of people realize those large budget films, you, when they say, you know, effects by Stan Winston effects house or something that means somebody designed these makeups, but there's an army of people. Mm-hmm. Um, Lord of the Rings film, the Hobbits film. We worked with oh, a, God, yeah. uh, my, my son and I worked on a movie, a, a small low budget thing that the effects guy had worked on one of the Hobbit films. And he's like, yeah, I was one of, you know, 50 effects artists. And we just mm-hmm. sat and watched a monitor that was trained on our person. And then if we saw a flaw, we had to go out and touch up and do fixes throughout and just imagining that on a large budget film compared to something like <laughs> August Underground, where it's, you know, <laughs> you and a bucket of gore and go, go make it work. And ma- ma- mashed up baby roots, you know, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I imagine when you're, when you're in those situations, I, I think every artist 
feels like this when they are doing someone else's work how often are you like ah oh, oh i would have done it this way or oh, do you even the, do you put that time. out of your head <laughs> no that 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 still goes on no matter what when i'm yeah. on uh you know bigger budgeted things where you're just a hired hand yeah i i i'm always looking at stuff going eh, you know mm-hmm. i would have done it like this or whatever but you know i also i can also um detach myself from that and say hey look this is the way they want it done i'm gonna do it they'll be happy and uh you know and it's all good and the yeah. check will always clear on a big budget thing too which is nice, you know so you know there's never that worry of like god oh, jesus now i'm gonna have to call this producer and shake him down for the right. 700 dollars he owes me that prick you know <laughs> so it's 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 all right yeah I, I i can i can uh you know separate myself from um that stuff because usually the hired hand stuff doesn't last that long you know yeah. it usually just goes for a few weeks or a month and you're done mm-hmm. so that's all right and that is it's always that trade-off of um you know being your own boss of a sort being able to have the control over um not only the design but an application but also just kind of the the overall uh um i just lost the word but but just being able to make the decisions act on those decisions and you live with the consequences one way or the other having that control has Mm -hmm. to be worth it even though you're having to go chase down a producer it is it is and uh but yeah you are right though i mean you also bear the uh the burden of responsibility if anything goes wrong you know with what you designed uh or if it doesn't work i mean it's it's all on you there's you know there's no other boss that uh you know is gonna take the uh blows for you you know yeah um so yeah you gotta be ready for that stuff when it happens and Mm -hmm. almost almost invariably it, it always will yeah. There will always be some kind of an issue. And even if it's not on your end, it's always going to be something that, you know, something you told a producer that you need to have done at a specific time, they forget something and you got to look, Oh God, you got to deal with that. You know? <laughs> I, I just, I, I got off a of production. I won't name names or anything like that, but I got off a of production recently where um, it was, it was me. I was the only effects makeup guy on it mm-hmm. and they needed creatures. I mean, like really you know, all these creatures, they needed all this crazy stuff. And I would say, well, how long do I have to build this stuff? And they would say, oh, uh, I, we need her on set on Tuesday. And I went, it's Thursday right now. Is it, yeah. Was your actress available? Uh, she flies in tomorrow. Uh, okay. Well, as soon as she flies in, I need to get her to my studio and we need to life cast her. And I mean, I, I just, I, I went through about a month, month and a half of doing nothing but getting stuff done in mere days for these people. Lost so much sleep. It was very yeah. unhealthy but I got stuff done and it looked good, but mm-hmm. I really paid the price for it. Um, you know, physically, mentally, oh, yeah. it was really, really rough. And yeah. I was glad when that was over, but I did some really nice stuff for them. And I still don't think they understand how close they came to. Um, I mean, cause if they wouldn't have called me, who would they have called that would have been crazy enough and experienced enough to do this. Right. You know, I mean, would have been some, makeup school graduate that would have said oh i can do it just because he wanted to you know finally get a job and and then he finds out he bit off more than he could chew yeah you know Mm -hmm. and so i mean it's just it's just you gotta deal stuff like that and uh but hey the the other the upside is like you're like well if i'm gonna do this for you i'm gonna put myself through this here's what it's gonna cost and Mm -hmm. you throw them a you know a number that's realistic for what they're asking for right and um and they did 
I said, mm-hmm. I'm not moving a finger until the money goes through <laughs> because you have to do that. Yeah. That's the thing you have to, you have to be able to uh, be a business person as well as an artist. And yeah. um, a lot of artists have a hard time doing that. And that's usually why they're, you know, the term starving artist is kind of well-known Yeah, and there's a reason for that. <laughs> so, yeah. It's a, it's know. a hustle all the time. Um, Absolutely. You know, in, in any avenue of that writer's, freelance any any kind of freelance work is hustling you're yes. you're running around and, and sometimes you just have to accept yeah this is going to be an 18 hour day and then i gotta you know sleep three hours and get up again and do it again if i if this is what i want to do and you're just having to make those decisions and it i'm sure it, it wears over time but the, is it when you especially as a freelance artist when you get gigs like uh black panther 2 where you know it's going to be steady work and I'm going to get the paycheck and I don't have to worry about anything else for that time. Those probably make up for those small films where you are in control, but spending, you know, you, like you say, you're running around like crazy and wearing yourself out. That, does that help offset that a little bit, make up for it and give you those breathers? And that's part one with Greg McDougall. Interesting dude. I really like affects people. All the ones that I've met have fascinating stories. Uh, I obviously have fun talking with them. Uh, sorry if I talk too much on this one, but once you get swapping stories, it's kind of hard to stop. In a couple weeks, part two will be up. Hey, you getting out, you watching movies, you doing stuff? When you do, take care of your servers because at the Walter Baisley Movie House, we do not piss on hospitality. See you next time.